I added one more podcast to the giant podcast bin. Now you have plucked that podcast out and started listening. I took my microphone and found some human folk. Then I recorded all the noises while we spoke. My name is Adam Buxton. I'm a man. I want you to enjoy this. That's the plan. Hey, how you doing, podcasts? Adam Buxton here. Rosie is glaring at me. She doesn't like it when I say, hey, how you doing, podcasts anymore. I think she's over it. It's fair enough. You go in and out of phases, don't you, with podcasts, I think. For a few years, maybe it's your favourite thing. Then after a while, you just think, no, I think we've diverged. And you switch allegiances to the rest is politics or whatever it might be. I think Rosie uh, prefers another podcast. (laughs) Is that true, dog legs? Podcasts are so 2020. Certainly Rosie wasn't very keen on coming for a walk today. It's rather an overcast day out here in the Norfolk countryside. I have her on the lead with the retractable handle section stuck in my pocket to enable me to carry my dictaphone in one hand and my phone that has my notes on it in the other hand. But I am tempted now that we're out in the fields and she's loping a bit more happily to unclip the lead and let her roam free. But I was chastened earlier in the week by a conversation with someone I hadn't seen in a while. And they were complaining about dog owners who let their dogs just bounce around without the lead. I think they were talking more about places where you've got neighbours and the dog runs into the next garden or whatever it might be. That's not the situation out where we are. We're lucky to be quite remote. and We don't really meet people on the whole in the fields around here. Having said that, I do keep Rosie on the lead more and more, but maybe today, Rosie. Would you like to run free? Yeah, whatever. Okay. Unclip. Go, go like the wind, my dog friend. Now I'm fine, thank you. I'll just stand over here and look around for a while and then maybe do a poo. That's okay. That's all any of us is doing, really. How are you doing anyway, podcats? Not too bad, I hope. I'm all right, thanks. I had a nice week in Kent, working on music things. Oh, it's nearly there. Pet sounds too. But look, let me tell you a bit about podcast number 206, which features a rambly conversation, very rambly this one, with English actor and writer Daisy May Cooper. Daisy Facts. Daisy was born in 1986 and grew up in or around the vibrant market town of Cirencester in the county of Gloucestershire. Cirencester is the largest town in the Cotswolds region of central southwest England. Why isn't it pronounced Cirencester? That's what I want to know. The way that towns with similar spellings are contracted in the pronunciation, you know, Leicester, Worcester, Bicester, that kind of thing. 
you know, the Americans, they come over and they say, where is Leicester Square? That's what Americans sound like. And you go, <laughs> it's pronounced Lester. We don't say the E-S. But then the Americans would say, oh, I'm so sorry. Well, could you tell me the way to Sirenster? And you'd go, no, you idiot. It's pronounced Sirencester. And the Americans would be understandably sad and confused at that point. Why did you call me an idiot? Shut up! You'd say to the Americans. No, don't be like that with the Americans. Come on. Why is it Sirencester, though? I guess the Leicester, Worcester and Bicester examples all have just one syllable before the ster. And maybe that makes a difference. But still, whoa, whoa, ah, whoa. We're in the pheasant corridor. Anyway, Siren Sester, I'm not letting this go. I voted leave so we could sort out this kind of madness. <laughs> Brexit. Anyway, back to some selected career facts about Daisy. After leaving school, Daisy earned a place at the prestigious Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts, or Radar, in London. And later, she made her name, along with her younger brother Charlie, writing and performing in the hit BBC3 mockumentary, This Country, about the exploits of Cotswolds locals Kerry Mucklow, played by Daisy, and her cousin Kurtan, played by Charlie. Three series in a special of this country were produced between 2017 and 2020, during which period the show racked up over 52 million BBC iPlayer requests. That is so many iPlayer requests. The success of this country led to acting and presenting opportunities for both Daisy and Charlie, with Daisy going on to act in Amanda Iannucci's 2019 film The Personal History of David Copperfield as well as Iannucci's TV comedy sci-fi show Avenue 5, first series of which aired in 2020. In 2022, Daisy starred alongside Tim Key in the TV comedy The Witchfinder, set in the 17th century and created by Alan Partridge writers The Gibbons Brothers. And earlier this year, 2023, Daisy was one of the stars of writer Cash Carraway's gritty drama with comedy sprinkles Rain Dogs. An unconventional love story between a working-class single mother, her young daughter, and a privileged gay man. Daisy is also working, along with her actor and writer friend Celine Hisley, on a second series of their show Am I Being Unreasonable? Described as a twisted comedy thriller about two mums, marital angst, maternal paranoia, and a dead cat. The first series aired in 2022. In addition to all that, Daisy is also a regular on the rebooted music-themed comedy panel show Nevermind the Buzzcocks, along with host Greg Davis and regular panellists Noel Fielding and Jamali Maddox. Series 3 is currently airing on Sky Max, with musical guests including Suggs, Talia Mar, Ash Nico, Sam Smith and Supergrass's Danny Goffey, along with comedy guests including Catherine Ryan, Phil Wang and Kyle Smith-Bino. My conversation with Daisy was recorded face-to-face -face in London town at the beginning of September this year, and we waffled in a very ludicrous fashion about the supernatural, Daisy's memories of watching The Adam and Joe Show. I didn't realise Daisy knew The Adam and Joe Show, and uh, of course I didn't waste an opportunity to waffle a little bit about that 
with Daisy. I also talked to her about art school and drama school, therapy, social media, what she and I are like to be in a relationship with, how the children of billionaires get screwed up, why being famous isn't what Daisy imagined, our respective experiences of being involved with Nevermind the Buzzcocks, the secrets of TV sex scenes, and what always cheers us up. I'll be back at the end with some feedback from listeners about a recent episode of the podcast with Louis Theroux, a couple of points that people sent messages in about. But right now, with Daisy May Cooper, here we go. for breakfast this morning. I had smoked salmon and a crumpet. Oh, that's nice. Very nice. And a crumpet. On a crumpet. At the, at the Langham, before, but I was taken there. Yeah. It's really haunted there as well, getting ghosts in again. The Langham? Yeah. Have you heard about it? No. It's meant to, meant to have been like a... Uh, they used it as a hospital during the military or something. Right. And then there's a, a pilot that just wanders the halls and knocks on people's room doors and then they open it and he just buggers off. A comedy pilot. <laughs> comedy pilot, absolutely. <laughs> he just wanders around waiting to get commission. <laughs> you love ghosts. I really Have do. Have you seen a ghost? I thought I did, I th- I, but I'm not sure. I've had some weird things happen. But I, this is really strange. I was in my house, which is brand new, and it's sort of near a lake. Nobody's ever lived in it. Brand is this new out build. west? This is out at, near the, in the Cotswolds. I woke up about three o'clock in the morning and had my two-year-old son in the bed. And we both w- woke up and saw just a pair of legs in what looked like PE shorts just running around the bed, and then it was gone. So I, I have no idea, but stopped at the shorts. Stopped at just before the hips, and it was just a pair of legs. Do you know the Dr. Seuss story about the pants with no one in them? No. Do you know Dr. Seuss? Yes, loved Cat in the Hat and sat on the mat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Sat in the mat was the sequel. <laughs> the pair of pants with no one in them. I can't exactly remember which story it was. Oh, but that's harrowing, though. It's really scary. Because, you know, can you picture those kind of Dr. Seuss, empty, weird, surreal landscapes? Yes. Like uh, yes, I can. Really bleak. Truffular trees and <laughs> weird... Truffular trees, yes. Mad sort of... Um, it's a it's a kind of strange, nightmarish, liminal space that oh, he creates God. in yes. some of his stories. And hang on, let's see the... Dr. Seuss, the pale green pants. And it's all about this guy who sees this pair of pants with no one inside them. And they're running around. This guy's getting massively freaked out. Oh, my God. And then eventually he confronts the pants. Spoiler. Yeah. And it turns (laughs) out the pants are scared of him as well. Oh, 
Oh, that's beautiful. So it's all fine. You don't need to worry about the, the <laughs> legs with the PE shorts running around in your house. They're probably either they're really into your stuff or yeah. they're just frightened of you. But <laughs> did your son see them as well? I, I'm convinced that he, because I, I thought it was my daughter and he, his eyes were watching it. I mean, it was just a few seconds and we both watched it kind of run around the bed and then it just, yeah, so I'm, I'm convinced that he saw it, unless I'm just trying to put that onto him. But it just so, I mean, what sort of apparition just comes as legs? And Mental. Did, does that sort of thing freak you out then? No, I, I, no, I love it. I, I've got really obsessed with this story. Have you ever heard of the Sandown Clown? Mm-mm. So in the Isle of Wight in the 1970s, two kids were on this caravan site and went wandering off. And they saw this thing, Google the Sandown Clown to look at it. It was the only way I could explain it. It's got sort of a face, a clown-like face. It's got no neck. It's about seven feet tall. <laughs> it's got three fingers, three toes, and it talks on a microphone and makes ambulance noises. <laughs> But the, why I'm fascinated about that is why it's so mental and so specific. Yeah, that is specific. That, that why it's like the PE shorts. It can't, like, it's so mad. I mean, if you were going to make something up, you'd at least be, you'd say, oh, it's, I don't know, it was a sort of ghosty or an alien that had. Mm -hmm. but, but a microphone and ambulance sounds. I mean, I'm a sceptic, so... My explanation would be that these are just waking dreams. Oh, I see. It's your subconscious coughing up stuff. <laughs> what does PE shorts running around my bed Well, that's something for you to discuss with your therapist. <laughs> I don't know. There's some <laughs> something in your life, some traumatic or sexy incident around PE shorts. Here we go. Oh, the Sandown Clown was a strange being encountered by two young children vacationing at Lake Common Sandown, Isle of Wight, in May of 1973. Yeah. Following a sound like an ambulance siren, <laughs> the children wandered across a footbridge over a stream and met a curious, unidentifiable being that has since been described as a cross between a clown, a robot and an alien. <laughs> It was a shy but friendly being and spoke kindly to the children for almost half an hour before they returned to their parents. It seemingly vanished after the encounter and has never been seen again. Apparently he was really polite and really nice and then mm. he did something to make the kids laugh but it completely freaked them out, which is he put a berry in his, in his ear and it came out of his eyeball. <laughs> Eyeball, apparently. <laughs> and he was trying to make... They said, well, we, you know that he was trying to make, make us laugh, but it sort of freaked us out a bit. So then we ran away and then he, we never saw him again. Yeah. But even that, why would a kid say that? I mean, they're liars. <laughs> they just lie constantly, <laughs> these kids. Didn't you ever lie about stuff? Didn't you ever make something up? I mean, I know you you did do some supernatural prankery when you were at school. I did, yeah. But mine was sort of, what you was know, that? real Can route one stuff. Tell like, us about that for, oh, for people who don't know. I, I was at a primary school and it had been something like the patron of the primary school was a Victorian called Rebecca Powell. Hmm. And I made up that she had died and that her ghost was taking over my... Well, I was—I needed an exorcism because I'd been 
What's the word? Possessed. Possessed, that's it. Yeah. And so would sort of convulse and, in classrooms. and. But I, that's route one stuff. That's, I'm not, that's sure. not a clown Everyone's making... done that. <laughs> How old were you? Oh, God. I don't About eight or nine. Good work. And we're doing sort of Ouija boards. And, and it was a complete pandemic. And it got to the point where uh, the, the teachers had to address it with parents because kids were too scared to come into school and... I sort of said that I saw some chairs and stacked themselves in, in assembly. <laughs> Complete bollocks. That's because I didn't want to sit through, you know, hymns and praise and all of that stuff. Yeah. My technique in those days was just to hyperventilate. Oh, and, that's brilliant. And then make myself faint. And then I would say, oh, I'm, oh, I'm faint. And then uh, <laughs> I'd get pale and be able to go off to the San. The sanatorium, it was called. Oh, my goodness. And I could lie down in the sand and just get off whatever lesson I was having a hard time with. <laughs> that is genius. It worked pretty well, actually. And then I'd see all my friends at lunchtime. They're like, you don't look very dizzy anymore. I was like, no, I'm all right now. I'm fine. I had a strange turn, though. <laughs> oh, and I kind of convinced myself a little bit that it was real. Do you know what I mean? Like oh, sometimes. Yes. I was sort of going, oh, I, you know, I was breathing a little faster. And it was like it was a feedback loop. Oh, yes. Oh, definitely. Oh, yeah, I'm getting a bit faint now. I don't know. Whoa. Oh, God. I think I do need to oh, raise my hand. Miss, sorry, I'm just. Oh, my goodness. Did you go Did you go to school in Cheltenham? No. Yeah, I did. I, I went to, that was later. I, oh, I did an art degree there. That's it. A sculpture degree. Because that's not far from where you were, right? Yes, yeah. I'm just trying to, so where did, where did you go to primary school? Oh, primary school, well, actually London and then South Wales. I was uh, at primary school for a while there. Oh, amazing. Partly with some nuns in, in <laughs> oh, a, I bet that was in a, a convent. Yeah. There was even like a nun, an American nun. She was the only nice nun. The Welsh nuns were horrible. Really? And But there was an American nun, a groovy nun, and she sang songs on the guitar. It wasn't Whoopi Goldberg, was it? it I mean, <laughs> it was someone like that with the same kind of lovely spirit. Oh, and, lovely. And uh, I really liked her, American nun. But the rest of them were not that nice. I wasn't very popular there as well. I was inserted at quite a late stage because right. my dad suddenly moved us all out to Wales to to live in this house where his mum grew up. And she had died and he wanted to kind of reconnect with his childhood perhaps a little bit. And oh this house God. became available. And he wanted to fulfill his fantasies of reconnecting with the countryside and getting out of London, which he hated. So he moved us all out to Wales. And then it wasn't great for my mum because... She was just left there on her own most of the time because my dad was a travel writer. So he'd go off traveling. Oh, my yes. mum would stay home in Wales oh my in the God. middle of the countryside. It would snow. She'd get snowed in. <gasps> and uh, I think she just drank heavily in those days and watched the Muppet show. <laughs> and then we went off to, to, uh. to primary school nearby where... I was taunted for being a posh because no one else had the accent that I had. No, yeah. So I was posh and also they used to call me uh, a, um, a, a racial slur used against Chinese people because uh, my eyes were apparently too narrow. Oh, my God. <laughs> this, and of all this while, your dad has just gone, gone off travel writing yeah, so he doesn't have to deal with it. No, <laughs> he's gallivanting. 
He's going around first oh, class. Yes, I do remember. I remember because we were cute. Me and my brother were huge Adam and Jay fans. There was that segment with your. It was your dad, wasn't it? Yeah. He used to. Oh, he was brilliant. Oh, so wow. funny. That's so strange to think of you watching that back in the day. We, we you inspired um, us doing stop animation. No way. Yes. When did you start doing the stop animation? Well, I mean, it's generous of you to call it stop motion, but it was. Uh, we were doing that stuff, I guess, around ninety six, ninety five. We started doing bits and pieces, and there was a bit of stop motion, i.e., you know, for those of you not familiar with the world of animation, <laughs> you know, you 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 have a little Star Wars figure, which is what we had. You move the arm a little bit, you take a photo, you move it a bit more, you take a photo, and then hey presto, it looks like they're moving. But mainly when we were doing our toy movies, we were, it was just waggle vision. We were oh, just, I loved we, it. We were just waggling them around. You must have had so much fun doing yeah, that. Yeah, it was great. And so you made similar stuff, did you? Oh, yeah. Completely inspired by you guys. I mean, we didn't. We had um, Pocahontas figures and Playmobil figures. We didn't have the Because you had like the 1980s, 1970s Star, original Star Wars figures. Yeah, the Kenner so, And you used figures. to do the things with the mouth. Um, you'd actually make them talk, wouldn't you, by putting paper yeah. things. We we didn't have that level. So ours, ours was just more sort of move across the carpet, maybe fall down halfway through. Would you do voiceover for them, though? Were they talking to each other? Yes, but they'd be stationary and that would be... <laughs> so it was dreadful. We even played and it did a whole thing with the Playmobil pirate ship where Pocahontas turns up and then the only way to get the music on was just to literally have us stood looking at the camera while the entire song paint with all the colours of the wind. So that's like three minutes of just I have to confess I've frame. never seen Pocahontas. Oh, have you not? No. Well, you're not missing anything. It was dreadful, but <laughs> we had the figurines. <laughs> How old are you at that point then? Oh, gosh, must have been about uh, eight or nine. Right. We used to stay up really late. That was like, it was on a Friday, wasn't it? It was Friday night. Or well, Saturday it night. varied. Sometimes it was on a Friday. We used to be on Wednesdays. They'd move us around. They were quite disrespectful. <laughs> Bastards. <laughs> we got obsessed with it. And then came across, when when I was at Rada and I was so depressed, came across your DVD at HMV. Oh, yeah. Of the show. And we used to watch it on a tiny little DVD player in, in my halls when Charlie was sleeping on the floor. Obsessed, obsessed. Wow. It really got us through. I remember your art installation in Cheltenham. Yeah. It was like having to crawl through something. Or That's right. Well, this is so Daisy is now referring to an extra, a DVD extra on the Adam and Joe DVD. <laughs> yes. And there was a thing I put together called The Story of Adam and Joe. And it was bits of home movie footage from the archives because me and Joe used to film a lot of stuff. And yes, there was a little section of some of the work that I did for my sculpture degree in Cheltenham. And I think the bit you're referring to was I made a kind of padded room. (laughs) It was all white padded vinyl. And you'd go into this very narrow space through a tight little corridor and then projected on the top of this white vinyl cylinder was uh, feedback, video feedback. (laughs) Brilliant. yeah, wow, that's amazing. But how do you get that. marked on something like that? Well, I don't know what the process was. I, I do remember that they. one of the criticisms I got when I was on that course was that one of the tutors thought that I was using the course as a stepping stone to get into TV. Oh, well, I mean, he couldn't have got it more right. 
I mean, at the time, I was I, I I instinctively understood that I was supposed to push back and say, no, 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 art. It's all about art for me. <laughs> Fuck TV. I, of course, I don't care about television, but of course I did. I loved TV. I'd love to be on TV. But I did care about the art as well. I just thought, can't you have both? Like, What were some of the worst pieces that... Can you remember anybody's really bad art pieces? Oh, man. I mean, there was lots. That's the nice thing about art school is that it encourages you to get it all out of your system. So everyone does terrible stuff. I did lots of terrible stuff. I remember a lot of performance pieces, people amazing painting them like, you know, nakedness was always high on the agenda. If you want to show people how authentic yes oh god that's like drama school yes yes (laughs) then you take your clothes off and then and then everyone can fuck (laughs) off because it's like well i've taken my clothes off what have you got you know that's you can't go any further than that really oh my god that's so funny did you do i mean i've read about your time at rada and you said that you were sort of upset by a lot of the things they got you to do there oh god but i mean it's totally the same as the art school i mean so much of it was just so pretentious where I remember, yeah, nakedness was a big one. People sort of saying, I mean, I think it was it, uh, we were terrified of, uh, was it Drama Ed? I don't know, it was another school that apparently they used to get you to sort of shit in a bucket in improvisations, <laughs> which really scared us. But yeah, it's all that absolute, complete bollocks. I remember having to do animal studies where you'd have to be an animal for like an entire week like in every lesson and this girl had made the terrible mistake of being a dragonfly which was fucking exhausting <laughs> and I was just like some lazy old horse so I was just in the corner I was like swatting away flies every two seconds but uh, yeah a dragonfly and I, I just thought she was going to have a breakdown by the end of the week do you get to pick your own animal yeah so she picked a dragonfly a dragonfly thinking co- that she'd just be able to uh, yeah, vibrate her, hold her arms week. out and vibrate them a lot and flit about and be jerky <laughs> Ridiculous, absolutely Whoa. ridiculous. But I, I remember doing, but with the art thing, because this reminds me of art installation and the fact that it, I remember being late for an art project for secondary school and putting an egg into a whisk and so, and calling it birdcage because <laughs> I was late for school and my art teacher thinking it was the best thing, the most moving thing she'd ever seen. So this was a raw egg, but in the shell, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Just you, in a whisk. And you pop it into the whisk. Yeah. And it's called birdcage. <laughs> that is fucking good. That is good. That is brilliant. That is brilliant. I mean, wow. <laughs> That's genuinely good. Do you think? Yes. Do you really think? Of course, it just holds up on every level. Oh my god! It looks good because I genuinely had just hadn't done my homework. You People use a whisk and... to whip up eggs. <laughs> Before putting them in a cake, it's about animal rights, it's about freedom, it's about cooking, it's about so much. I'd like to do an art installation. Imagine having, like, an unlimited budget to create just a mental experience for someone. I mean, I guess, of course, you are an artist, Daisy. Am I, though? But you paint your canvas is the television. Right, yes, I suppose. And uh, you are creating uh, visual art. Are you on strike at the moment? No, because you're not American. No, oh, God, no. I did not. I, that's, that's America, isn't that's it? That's America. Sad. I just keep get, getting told by my agents there's no workaround because of that. And right. that, I hope that's the truth. Yes. Are you doing American productions? <laughs> no. I mean, 
Nothing. Are you not? Because your shows all go out in the states, right? Yeah, but I th- we just sell, just sell it. <laughs> I heard Rain Dogs was very well received in the states. Really? Because I don't know if anybody watch it. Nobody tells me. I hope. <laughs> I hope it was. So you're not googling yourself? No, because if I do, I get really down. <laughs> How? How is your relationship with uh, social media these days? Because you, oh, you know, terrible. like in. 2020, I think you became associated with Instagram, and yes. people were enjoying the stuff that you were putting on there during the lockdowns. Totally. But I've also heard you talking about how you know you can get anxious, and you oh, are yeah. affected. You're affected by what you read and what people say to you on there. So where are you at right now? Are you on Instagram? Oh no! I mean, I do you know what? It just takes one comment. It doesn't matter how many. Hundreds of comments that are lovely. I don't care about that. I care about the one that said, um, your bottom teeth make me want to puke. <laughs> and then I just can't. And then I can't sleep and I'm completely consumed by that. So I just won't ever touch it again. It's pathetic. What's wrong with your bottom teeth? Oh, they're fat. They make, they make everyone want to puke, apparently. <laughs> I've I mean, anno- I'm annoyed because I have braces on the top and I should have had on the bottom. But it's weird, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> like, just that one thing. And that person will probably not even remember that they've sent me that. Mm. I mean, obviously, that's not nice. It's not nice to comment on no. someone's physical appearance, <laughs> and it's not nice to read about it. But that person's just obviously a moron. <laughs> you, you know yeah, what I mean? Like, yeah, I know. I, I know. The, the stuff... <laughs> but it's somebody that feels they're so passionate. You've upset them so much that they have to write about They have to write online about it. That's yeah. what upsets me, that somebody is so disgusted with my bottom teeth that they have to let me know about about it that's insane yeah but i could never i could never have you never written anything mean to I've someone never online trolled any but i don't think i've ever i i've never trolled anyone online and do you know what this is mental i was looking up a chutney recipe on the tesco food website and somebody said that they replace their rhubarb with apples and then on the comments and somebody underneath commented what do you want a fucking medal <laughs> if there's trolling on the tesco food website over <laughs> like what's the world what's the world come to absolutely it's everywhere that's the thing i think you, you... it's everywhere why is people putting so much hate into the it's just too obsessing you can't even make a chutney in peace. Are you in therapy? Do you do therapy? No, I don't because I'm afraid that... Because I lie in therapy because I don't want the therapist to judge me. Mm-hmm. So I just change the narrative and I think this isn't helping me at all. I'm just telling lies. <laughs> to make yourself seem like a better person. I just want the therapist to really like me <laughs> so that I get stressed out. <laughs> and then I can't keep up with the lies so I need a therapist to deal with that. <laughs> I'm so fucked. I'm so fucked in the head. It's insane. <laughs> it just never stops. Do you have a therapist? I mean, I have done therapy, but I've said before on this podcast that I I would definitely do it again. I do think it can be useful if you're in a real spot and you just feel lost and just a bit of outside perspective is very yeah. valuable. But what I haven't had is more kind of day-to-day stuff of just like, you know, how's your week been? I had therapy after my mum died and I felt really anxious and mad. Yeah. And so 
that was quite good and useful. But then at a certain point, I kind of wanted to be told what to do. <laughs> yes. Yes. You know. <laughs> I'm paying for this service. Yeah. You know, don't just sit there and ask me how I feel about it. If I fucking knew, I wouldn't be coming to see you. Right. I mean, obviously, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to guide you to a place where you will figure it out for yourself mm. and where you will do the work to get yourself on a more positive path. And, uh, and that can definitely happen. But the lazy part of me is just like, just tell me, am I a dick? That, what, yes. what things am I doing are fucking dickish and need to stop? Oh, my God. That's, do you know what? That's genius. Blunt <laughs> therapy. That's a thing. Well, you can have it. I mean, there are forms of therapy where they do say that. Really? Yeah, do you I just think, get trolled? Yeah, they do. They do say, <laughs> yeah, you're a selfish prat. And uh, this is what you should do about it. Stop being a selfish prat. And Oh, my God. I mean, I'm oversimplifying. There are types of therapy where that's available. But then is that a kink? <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Just to be told how terrible you are. I think it can become a kink, can't it? That's the thing. You have to be oh, careful gosh. with it. You have to, you have to uh, go into it for the right reasons. It's a minefield. Yeah. So you, would you have therapy again just for day-to-day -day stuff? I mean, I wouldn't rule it out. I would love to find someone that was outside of my immediate life, but that I respected that was a bit older than me and seemed sort of experienced. And Yes, that you don't think. I can see through all the questions you're asking me. I know exactly why you're asking me that. Yeah, because the thing is with friends, there's an agenda, isn't there? There's the agenda of your friendship. There's yeah. the... There's the things that you don't say to each other because it would compromise, even if you're really good friends with someone. Yes. You don't say everything because that's unsustainable. <laughs> you wouldn't say, look, I really like you, but your bottom teeth make me want to pee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And on days when they piss you off or you piss them off, you don't, yes. you don't say absolutely every part of what's pissing you off. Because then it's going to stick in that person's head or it'll stick in your head. Oh, definitely. I do envy people who are really open and can talk to each other about all those things and have a very honest kind of uh, robust relationship with their friends. But I don't... That's just not me. No, no. W were you ever like that? No, I don't think... No, I'm too... I'm too neurotic for that. I'm... I'm terrible. I'm terrible about telling people how I truly feel. I'll, I'll do the complete opposite. Like house guests, that really freaks me out. Yeah, I have people over to my house and every single cell in me is just screaming for them to leave because I <laughs> hate them being in my space. But then I'll invite them for Christmas and I to get them out of staying today, I'll sign myself up for a longer period with them. I don't know why I do it. Do you do holidays with friends? Yes, and that's the worst. And I, I end up doing stuff that I don't want to do at all. I'll go and see some coliseum that I have no interest in and I'm so upset and angry about. And I'm texting my other friends saying, I can't believe I'm fucking doing this. <laughs> I don't know. I Don't you find holidays... They are very stressful. And I always forget, like a year goes by and you forget and you just think, oh, holiday time again. Great. And then as soon as you get out, you're like, oh, yeah. This is why. I remember now. I've got the perfect solution to this. I think the best way to go on holiday, because you're married, right? Yeah. So if you go away with another couple, you do your own stuff during the day 
and just meet up in the evening because you've mm. got as, as a couple you've got nothing to talk about in the evening because you've both been doing the same thing and you're bored of each other. So having another couple that go, oh, we went to go see the Coliseum, and you say, oh, well, we might do that tomorrow. Was it any good? And that's a good idea. We have children though, so that throws right, the big, that's the spanner that's in the works is that you kind of all. You're all together and looking out for them and everything is governed by their schedule. Yeah. How old are your kids? Well, they're getting older now. So they're teenagers. My youngest one is 14 and the oldest is 21. Really? Oh, my God. Yeah. God, have they had holiday romances? On no. Romance for that generation just seems to be a totally different thing than it was for me when I was growing up in the 80s. Yeah. I mean, I think people growing up now, teenagers now in 2023, have so many challenges that we didn't have when we were growing up. And it's such a strange world in ways that I couldn't imagine. Oh, my God. And so, yeah, it's really weird because it, it was totally central to me, the whole romantic world when yes, I was a teenager. Yes, it meant everything. Was it, it was to you? everything. And holiday romances. Did you have any of that? You must have had Yeah, some. a couple, yeah. It was amazing. Unbelievably intense. Yeah. I mean, holiday romances for me, that was the whole reason to go on holiday with your parents. Yeah. Particularly if you went to a campsite, you'd wander around and it would be the first day you'd get there just searching for somebody else. When was your best one? Oh, gosh. Campsite in Poole, mm -hmm. and I remember having this romance with a boy called Tom Pike. We met in Poole, we were the same age, and he went to a school that was five minutes from where I lived in Sirencester. Whoa. And do you know what he, how he broke it off? No. He said the bus journey to mine was too long. Come on. I know. Of all the things, holiday romance, it obviously doesn't continue because of distance and he couldn't get on a bus for five minutes well you got it yeah I, I really was because i think i don't think i've fancied anyone since <laughs> <laughs> like i did him are you very emotional what as a part yeah as a partner uh what do you like to be in a relationship with i do you know what i'm actually really easy going as long as i get to just read my book in bed I'm like, you know, like gremlins, where it's like you've got the three things, like don't feed me after midnight. It's all those sort of things. As long as you, you're not an asshole, I'll be fine. Uh -huh. But if you're an asshole, I'll be an asshole, basically. What are you like in a relationship? God, I mean, I find it so hard to know. It's like, as I speak, it is my 22nd wedding anniversary. Oh, my goodness. That's amazing. With my beautiful wife. And I oh. do, feel like, we did congratulate each other this morning. It's like, that's not bad, is it? That's not bad. That's incredible. And uh, it's and we're both quite high maintenance. Oh, so really? it's not. it's quite a good achievement, I think. Oh, oh my gosh. Uh, we don't have, like, screaming rows. All the time. <laughs> but it has happened. And I think, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I think she thinks that I'm pretty tricky and I can be quite toxic, cloudy sometimes. You right, know, yeah. Get in a mood and she's like... Uh, I say to her, like, what's, why are you in a mood? And she's like, I'm in a mood because you're in a mood. And I'm like, no, I'm just in a mood because you're in a mood. You started the mood. I don't know. I haven't done anything. I'm usually very sunny. Have you heard my podcast? I'm fun and easygoing. 
What's the biggest row you've had over the most trivial thing? Oh, man. I mean, I, I have a thing that I do in live shows where I talk about the log I keep of all the arguments that we've had, <laughs> where I write, write them all down. <laughs> and I say, though, before that, obviously, the thing about all these trivial arguments, and there's loads, mm. is that underneath them, there's all these unresolved issues. Oh, I see. Right. Yeah. And so often what happens is you start trivial, door of the dishwasher left open, yeah. forks and knives not in the right drawer. Yeah. Why can't you put the peeler back in yes. the same place every time? Yeah. Why did someone put it in the pot over there in the corner? <laughs> that makes no sense at all. Yeah. That kind of thing. Yes. It starts like that. And then, you know, half an hour later, you're talking about class and yeah. oh, parenting my God. and yes. money and, you know, what who, <laughs> whose family is most dysfunctional and <laughs> <laughs> all this kind of stuff. That's so funny. Does this always come when you have a drink? It certainly can be worse. Yeah, that's one of the dangerous things about booze. And I did notice at a certain point that I think red wine triggers me. That's interesting. That's I, so funny. I can get quite ratty on red wine. I'm pretty mellow with beer, I think. How about you? I, yeah, I mean, that's why I can't drink anymore. But oh, my, do you, have you stopped completely? I've stopped completely because oh. I'm like a raccoon in a garage. I just, really bad <laughs> things happen when I drink. Did you watch Succession? No, I didn't, no. Um, it's a good show. You should give it a go. Um, I No, but do you know what? Weirdly, <laughs> yeah. I was in rehab with one of the billionaires who's, who it was based on. I was in with somebody who I think... Was an inspiration. Was it was an inspiration for Succession. A dysfunctional billionaire. A dis dysfunctional billionaire who... This is so mental, right? He said his parents really screwed him up because they would... The only VHS they bought for him as a kid was DuckTales because they wanted him to watch Scrooge McDuck dive into the swimming pool of money and say, this is what it's like for us. Isn't that fucked? He said that. That He said that. That was what came out in one of, the, one of our sessions. <laughs> <laughs> the only VHS his parents allowed him to watch was Scrooge McDuck. That's what billionaires are doing, is it? With their kids, they're showing them ducktails and say, see that pile of money? No <laughs> wonder he screwed up. Play your cards right, you'll be diving into that one day. I always used to think, so, surely it's painful diving into a pile of money. Yeah, because it's solid matter. Yeah, that's just metal. <laughs> <laughs> just diving into a big metal jaggy mountain. What else did you talk to the billionaire about? Oh, he was really funny. He was so funny, but just like, the problem is, when you have... So much money. That's just. What's the point? It's like There's the guy just in no rain dogs. Yeah, sort of similar. When you wake, you wake up and you just think, well, what, what have I got to? Where's the goal? There's nothing to strive for, and then just drugs getting. You know, that must be mad being a billionaire. Yes, to be the kid of a billionaire can't be easy. I guess that's the thing about Succession, the TV show, which is which enables you to feel some sympathy for these people because they didn't choose to be in that family. You no. know what I mean? They are reprehensible people, <laughs> nevertheless, and the way they behave is sort of horrible. But at core, 
you know, I think if you are in any way a kind of empathetic person, you can say about someone like that, well, they didn't choose it, you know, and it's like, what must that be like if suddenly you find yourself having won the lottery in that way, in some way, what most people would see as having won the lottery. But then suddenly it's like, ta-da, here's a load of other shit that you have to worry about that that everybody else in the world would see as utterly trivial. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, oh, boo-hoo. You know, you've got no purpose in life. Tough luck, you know, cheer yourself up with another yacht or something. But but I I find that, I don't know whether you found this, but the same thing with fame, actually, Mm because it's like having that thing that was always the goal. It's like if I'm famous and everything will be fine and people will love me and then I'll feel better about myself. And then you achieve that and it's just sort of like this sort of grey area and you score the goal and it's just this mist and it's... What do I what do I do now? I thought this defined what success was for me, but I'm not as happy as I thought I was. I don't I find I know I remember hearing celebrities talk about it and thinking, "Oh, you, you know, you you twat, like you've got everything you've ever wanted and you're just you just want an excuse to make people feel sorry for you." But it's true. It's, and did you think if that was me, I would do it differently or I would feel differently. Yeah, I'd be, I thought I'd be fucking elated because I've got loads of money and people adore me. But it's, but it's, it's weird. It's so weird, fame, I think, and really a bit bleak. Mm-hmm. This is good. This that? is like Diary of a CEO now. <laughs> this is. Yeah. So all we need you to do is start crying and then we'll <laughs> cut together quite a good little trailer. Um, well, I don't think that I've ever been in a similar position to you. I'm not. I'm not someone that everybody knows in that. Oh way. yes, you are. Well, in certain places, like at a music festival with loads of middle-aged guys with beards, <laughs> then, <laughs> then I can't move. Oh gosh! <laughs> like I went to a, I went to a pulp show. Um, pulp were playing some shows this year, and I went to one at the Hammersmith Labatt's mcdonald's odeon apollo whatever it is now (laughs) and um i went with a friend of mine old friend and like every two minutes someone was coming up to me and getting a selfie or whatever and my friend was like holy shit your life is totally unsustainable (laughs) this is ridiculous he said it was like it must be hell i was like no i mean a it was fun and everyone was really nice b that's not normally what happens it was (laughs) it was because i was seeing pulp and there was loads of people of a similar age with similar interests who used to listen to six music when I was on there, maybe. You oh, know what I mean? That. So that was the core of the Dr. Buckles uh, Appreciation <laughs> Society was there. But outside of that, no one, you know, it's 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 fine. And but not, what about in the the nineties when you just no because we were on, on the scene? Yeah, but we were on late night TV on Channel Four. You know what I mean? It was it was entirely manageable. <laughs> and uh, it's like the perfect version of fame because the only people that recognize me are generally really nice and genuinely into what I do. And they're not just sort of casually like, oh, yeah, it's you, it's you, it's the thing. You know, oh. that's where it gets no, dangerous. Yeah, yeah. Is when people recognize you, but they're not invested in you. You know what right. I mean? Right. Yes. Yeah. And they don't necessarily care about everything you do <laughs> they're just like oh yeah you're the thing and you you know you're a two-dimensional person yes. you're just someone on tv or whatever yeah but imagine having 
the sort of level of fame of like Britney Spears or Justin Bieber and the amount of trolls that they must have to deal with. I mean, you've got to have such thick skin. That's why I could never go to LA or anything like that because it's meant to be ruthless out there and and casting directors and, oh, I just crumble to dust. Hmm. Awful. But you probably will have the opportunity or the invitations to go out there at some point and work with other people that you're interested in and want to work with. So how are you going to manage that phase of your career when these when these opportunities keep coming and when your profile continues to rise oh god i probably by that point i would have done something to get myself cancelled <laughs> for sure probably i might say something on a podcast i want you to stay i hope that you won't go away if i have upset you with something i said cheer up cause one day i'll be dead Do you follow what's going on in the music world? I don't, and I should do, because I'm doing Nevermind the Buzzcocks. You should. That's something we have in common. The association with Nevermind the Buzzcocks. Mine is mild. I've been on a couple of times. I hosted an episode back in the day. Oh, wow. But uh, that was one of the first big panel shows that I ever went on. When Mark Lamar was hosting When Mark it. Lamar was hosting Wow. 2001, oh I think I went on there. Oh. And Phil Jupitus was my team captain and Sean Hughes was on yes. the other team. Poor old Sean. But um, he was there back in the day. He teased me quite a lot that day uh, because um, Midge Ure was on the oh, team God. with me of Ultravox. Oh. And, yes. And, uh, you know, one of the architects of Live Aid, of course, yeah. along with Bob Geldof. I loved Midju. I loved Ultravox. So it was so exciting for me oh to be on a gosh. team with him. But the experience of actually doing the show, like later on, Sean Hughes just came up to me and said, um, oh, have you finished sucking up to Midju yet? And that was like the whole thing that day. That was the oh. tone of it. Like Sean was much softer and sweeter in a lot of ways than Mark Lamar. He was very hard-edged. Oh, God, yes. And yeah. I just wasn't prepared for that at no. all. Oh, that would have completely broken me. Yeah. I would have been back in rehab after that if I'd had that experience. I found it tough. I mean, the, that lineup was a real... I mean, you were just thrown to the lions. Yeah, that was a different type of TV in those days. It was much more gladiatorial and much more like sort of stand-up used to be, I think, mm. in the UK. Just Really competitive. Yeah, competitive and take no prisoners and a lot of teasing that was just right on the edge of bullying. And, yeah, yeah. And it's like, well, if you can't handle it, then don't do it. But I just oh, didn't realise that it was going to be like that. No. But what's it like now? What's How is it for you? Oh, it's lovely. I mean, I'm so lucky because I've got Greg and Jamali and Noel. And it's like having sort of three older brothers. That they're, they're so... Lovely, and I sort of feel like I've found my place, which is I do what the boys don't do, which is make sure the guests have got something to drink and make sure they know where the toilets are. I would have been brilliant as a, as a team captain for you. I would have really looked after you. Yeah. Because boys don't do that. The boys definitely don't. Phil Jupiter's was nice, I'd like oh, to Oh, that's out. nice. That's he was nice. very nice. But, um, yeah, no, I've, I feel like I've sort of... I just love it. It's great. Do you know what's annoying is... Like writing something like Abu, which will take like a whole year to write and all blood, sweat and tears pays like a, a tenth of what 
I get for like two weeks filming. You've shot you, so that you've you've created an acronym out of it. Oh yeah, well what uh, Abu? Yeah, that's <laughs> terrifying. Am I being unreasonable? Yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah. But yeah, it's mad, isn't it? Yes. Well, that's always the way. Yeah, the stuff that you really. I I think that's why the money is better on those shows because it is painful a lot of the time. Do you, know you what I mean? think? Definitely, because not everyone can go on those shows and do it well. So they a bit they, like sex work. They splash the money around. <laughs> it's a little bit like sex work in some ways. You, do, I mean, you are vulnerable. So vulnerable. Oh God. But I do. Yeah, I do love it. Yeah. But it's hard. I mean, everybody sort of. Who have? No, we've had some brilliant people. I mean, we had Suggs. Madness. Suggs, and I read that you met Suggs originally where. I met him at a They Might Be Giants concert. Right. Do you remember you, them? Of course. I I loved them. Oh, my Were God. Were you a fan? Did you go? Do You didn't go to the Apollo. Was it the Apollo? Did it, no, it was the Shepherd's Bush. That was ye- years ago. That would have been about two, 2000, 2001. Yeah, I don't think I saw them then. I saw them before then in the... Man, in the late 80s, I think. was that is that possible? Yeah. Late 80s, early 90s, I saw yeah. them at the, in Kentish Town. And they, they were, were great. Yeah, really, really good. Really, really great. Yeah. But everybody, when the Malcolm in the Middle song came on, everybody just went nuts. Right. Nuts. So Suggs was seeing Suggs They Might Be there. Giants. Yeah. And was... he was, yeah. And we'd got, I'd gone with my uncle and my cousin. And yeah, met him very briefly. I, don't, I can't even remember. Uh, I think I just said, oh, I was a big fan. And, and then, so there was that. Who else have I, we've had Gregory Porter on, who was brilliant. Yeah. Sean Ryder. Sean Ryder. And- oh, my God. Amazing. He's, being sat in between him and Bez was like being in an art installation. That yeah. was incredible because he believes in reptilians, you know, all the David Icke. Oh, he's big into his kind of cropper conspiracy theory really, stuff. Really, really into it. So yeah, having yeah. to... That was slightly stressful, having to f- record and then during the breaks be in between <laughs> both of them talking about reptilians was unbelievably stressful. They're both but into it, are they? Really into it, yeah. I mean, it's <laughs> mental. It's it's completely mad. Yeah. Uh, so who else did we have? Oh, Chesney Hawks. Chesney. Amazing. So he's got his greatest hits album, right? Yeah. And 13 of the songs are just different remixes of... The one and only. Yes. And Greg pointed this out and, and he got very quite cross about it. Uh-huh. He said that there are very different versions of the song. I mean, it's just mad. <laughs> that was mad. And was he okay or did it no, get uncomfortable? Fine. No, a little bit, but then it was fine. Yeah. Loved, really, he's so sweet. And his son came to support him. It was just so proud of his dad. It just, oh, it was so lovely. Biscuits, mm-hmm. I am in love with you. I'll dip you in my tea, but pull you out before you fall apart. I won't abandon you. Biscuits, biscuits, mm-hmm. nice. Right, I'm going to ask you a brace of more general questions as we move into our final section yep. of the conversation. Let's see. Oh, I was going to ask you about your relationship with on-screen sex and writing about sex. Yes, right. Because obviously there's there's aspects of sex that are dealt with in Rain Dogs. Yes. But you don't have to do anything too explicit there, do you? Have you ever done a sex scene? 
Uh, yeah, sexy, but with a, you get one of the, um, you know, like a, what are they called? Se- uh, uh, intimacy coach. Okay, yeah. Which is weird. Which is so weird. What do they do then? So you and the person who you've got to have a sex scene with will go into like a rehearsal room with an intimacy coach and you have to, first of all, you've got to point at like where you're comfortable with being touched when you're where you're not comfortable being touched. <laughs> Which even is just, oh God, I mean, it's awful. Then what you do is you have a, a sort of weird balloon, you know, like one of those gym balls. <laughs> yeah. But with think of like half of the air being taken out of it, and then you basically have to put that in between your groin, and then just sort of pretend to fornicate. Oh, I see. So, so, so that it forms a barrier. So it forms a barrier. So if somebody, because it, I, I suppose people can get boners, can't they? If they, I mean, you would yeah, think. Yeah. So that you can't feel anything should that happen, right? Unexpectedly. That's weird, isn't it? No, I mean, it's it's kind of a good idea, I suppose. But I have heard of some people that will say, no, we want to go quite method with this. Yeah, let's go full boner. And we'll f- actually shag. It's weird, isn't it? It's like, what's the line between porn and art and... Oh, and method and all of that stuff. Yeah. And there, it... I remember there was a guy at drama school who, for a part, this is so ridiculous, had to be homeless and he basically slept for three days by the steps of... Rada at Cheney Street. That's you've just been uncomfortable for three days. <laughs> That's just stupid. I don't. I mean, we, I don't. Th- method and all that. I think it's bollocks, isn't it? Yes. I mean, I suppose there's. It's useful to to have first hand experience of something that you're portraying. I suppose. But to go to that extreme to actually have sex on. I mean, then you just. You're just having sex. I mean, you, there's you are no, what's just, the, you having, are just sex. having sex. I know. It, it, I do think that that is a weird thing because it's like a, you know, it's a special thing, sex, isn't it? Oh, it is. It is yeah. A special thing. And uh, I think it must be tough for your relationships thereafter. Do you know what I mean? So weird. Like, I but do. But it's, it's tough anyway. I mean, it would never not be awkward to do any sort of sex. I don't care what anybody says. It's really, really uncomfortable when you've got loads of people. I mean, I've never questioned my sex noises until I've had to do it on screen because I think, God, what do I do during sex? Right. Do I make that sound? Yeah. I mean, I'm faking <laughs> it at home. I may as well fake it here. But it's weird, isn't it? Yeah. And, well, I was going to ask as well, like, have you written sex scenes? Yeah. I mean, I've written, I'll tell you what's really weird is having to write. I mean, because my dad played... Uh, my dad, Kerry's dad in this country hmm. and he was a bit of a pervert so having to write sort of monologues about his sexual escapades was was great for the character but weird because I'm writing it for my dad yeah uh, but yeah I've written a sex scene but it was more sort of comedy than yeah, anything yeah, yeah, yeah. so it was it wasn't really I mean this is really funny my grandfather was a GP and also wrote books and wrote really pornographic books about a GP. He didn't even change his name from Bob, <laughs> Dr. Bob. And he, as a teenager, he would... Me- I mean, he's dead now, thank fuck, but he used to make us read his book. all about him just getting fellatio. I mean, it's just insane. Dr. But Bob. But it was just him, his sexual fantasies that he... And they were vanity books as well, so he had them self-published. I mean, it's just awful. What were your parents saying? 
Oh, just as embarrassed. I mean, he'd give them to everybody at Christmas. He'd give out his books. I mean, he was the biggest narcissist you've ever met in your life. Holy shit. I know. In, to the point where he moved to Tavistock and he said to me, come and look at this. And in the local paper was in the, the letters com- column said, isn't it lovely to know that we've got local writer that's moved to Tavistock? And I said, oh, who's wrote that? And he said, I did. He sent a letter into the lo- his own local paper. But anyway, talking about, I suppose it is, well, like the Fifty Shades and all that stuff. That was a fantasy, wasn't it? Yeah, I guess so. I just think that it's it's giving so much away. It's so weird, sex, isn't it? Because obviously most of us do it. And uh, it is a part of uh, most of our lives. And it's a really important part. Yeah, it really is. And yet it's kept totally separate for most people. Yes. From the rest of their lives. And you can't... Because it's not just about what you feel comfortable discussing. Yes. But then you've been together for 22 years so i mean do do you get what i mean so i'm just going to know that it's about your wife yeah that's the thing isn't it well it might have been something i saw on the internet and uh, then you're they're going to say well he's got a bloody wife why is he writing this stuff that he saw why is he looking at the internet (laughs) finally what never fails to cheer you up i'll give you some of my examples I've I've di- I did a list on the train of some of the things that pretty much always cheer me up. Listening to a song by the Doobie Brothers called "Another Park, Another Sunday." That's a good one. Nice. Uh, I love watching my children do what they're good at. Seeing my daughter play netball, my son playing the piano, the other son strumming his guitar in his bedroom. That's those sounds always make oh, me happy. Oh, lovely! Uh, Zoom call with my friend Garth. That always cheers me up. Tim Key. Oh, yes. I love him. Gosh, I love him. He's pretty good. He's superb. Uh, Saucy texts from my wife. Oh, yes. Yeah, I can see that. Very good. Unexpected saucy texts. Unexpected. Yeah, that that works pretty well for me. How about you? Oh, God. Rain on a caravan roof. Oh, yeah. There's nothing like that sound. Um, The episode of... Tales of the Unexpected with Toya Wilcox. Wow, I don't know if I've seen that one. Oh, my God. Watch it. It's absolutely... The twist in the end is so ridiculous. It's fabulous. Blue Marigold. Blue Marigold, yeah. All right. That really cheers me up. Is that on YouTube? That's on... Yes, that's on YouTube. What else? Do you know, um, looking up pictures of old um, Argos catalogues... (laughs) <laughs> wow, that's very specific. Yeah, from like 94, 95. Yeah, what are the enjoyable things in there? Just the products or it's the, the layout? It's, the, it's definitely the layout and how the, the, the prices on things. Yeah, that makes me happy. <laughs> yeah, that's about it, really. <laughs> that's about it. <laughs> This is an advert for Squarespace. I took one look at that website and I knew that the woman I have been living with is not my wife. I'd never been any good with computers, so when I showed the website that I had built to sell my paintings to Tom, he just refused to believe that I had made it. And he started telling people that the government had taken his wife and replaced her with an AI. 
But Debbie had made the website herself. After hearing an advert on a podcast, she had visited squarespace.com slash Buxton and done a free trial. They had all these professional-looking templates there, so I chose one I liked, and I started typing into it. And then I dragged in some pictures, I uploaded a video, before I knew it, I had a website. I've seen The Matrix. I know that you need big green numbers and a long leather coat to build a website. It's just not that easy. But it was that easy. And when Debbie decided she wanted to purchase her new website, she remembered the offer code from the podcast. I typed in Buxton and I saved 10%. I was jumping up and down and shouting in your face at Tom. And it was around then that he started with the conspiracy theory. Why don't you go to squarespace.com slash Buxton, Tom? And you could see how easy it is to build your own website. Because that's exactly what they want me to do. Continue. Marvellous, super, so glad you could join us. Hey, welcome back, podcats. That was Daisy Mae Cooper. Very nice to talk to Daisy. And I'm grateful to her for giving up her time to waffle with me. I put a link in the description of today's podcast to that episode of Tales of the Unexpected that Daisy mentioned at the end there. Blue Marigold, it's called, from 1982. And as Daisy said, it stars the musician Toya, musician and actor Toya. She plays Myra, known as Marigold, a model who is the face of an advertising campaign but her life is falling apart. I'm quoting now from a synopsis left by an IMDb user. She spends some time in a psychiatric hospital, and when she's discharged, she goes to live with her sister and runs into those whom she blames for her problems. That's basically the deal. It's quite a uh, strange time capsule of an episode. It was produced in the early 80s and feels very early 80s. It's set in the 60s, at least the beginning part is that feels less authentic (laughs) but the 80s stuff is very authentically grimy you forget that 1982 was still not what we think of as the more kind of neon colored aspirational 80s it was still really like the 70s and you get a feel of that by watching this Tales of the Unexpected episode. Some of the performances are also quite eccentric, which perhaps is why it cheers Daisy up so much. Toya certainly doesn't hold back, but there's also another musician in the cast, musician, actor and EastEnders writer, Billy Hammond, who plays Marigold's sexy... No, not sexy, sexist bastard manager, Brian. It's a very entertaining portrayal. So there's a link to that. Now, here is a message that I received from Simon Donald. He of Viz Magazine fame and stand-up comedy. And he is a listener to the podcast. But Simon sent me this nice message. I was listening to your recent podcast with Louis Theroux, that is, the live one that I put out earlier this year and was taken that neither of you were aware of the discovery of the phenomenon behind spontaneous human combustion. It was one of the things that we mentioned in passing when we were having our chat. 
at King's Place for the podcast festival back in 2022. And it was something that people of our generation used to read a lot about in annuals about the unexplained alongside chapters on Bigfoot, the Loch Ness Monster, UFOs, that kind of thing. There would always be a chapter on spontaneous human combustion, a grainy black and white photograph of a, uh, a room, a charred room and a chair with just a pile of ashes around it and maybe a foot poking out of the ashes. It was macabre. Anyway, Louis and I were discussing whether spontaneous human combustion was a thing. I think I was poo-pooing the idea heavily. Simon points out that studies have been done into spontaneous human combustion and generally it's been established that people involved are often elderly, may have other comorbidities, perhaps they have a heart condition, etc. So I think the implication is that sometimes they will die and if they are sitting close to an open fire or another intense heat source or maybe they're smoking and the cigarette falls on them then that can cause a fire and says Simon the scientists concluded that the people had all died prior to very slowly combusting the body fat acting like a candle so the fire was at all times quite localised, hence limbs, slippers, etc., remaining completely intact after the combustion came to a halt. It's one of those things where the facts, once understood, are just as fascinating as all the theories. Hope you're well, Simon Donald. Thanks, Simon. So th- I think that's sort of what I thought it was. What isn't a thing, I don't think, is people just, for no reason, bursting into flames. Although some people believe that that is a thing and that it's the fault of things like ball lightning or poltergeists. I'm not one of those people. Here's another message, more serious message, although combusting is, I suppose, serious. This is from Anne-Marie Soulsby, who got in touch to say, you recently mentioned about your lack of information regarding your environmental impact in the podcast episode with Louis. Yeah, me and Louis were talking a bit about recycling angst. Anne-Marie says, as a sustainability coach and carbon literacy trainer, I can answer your questions. One, the impact of washing recycling through the dishwasher, which is something that Louis said he did. He puts yogurt pots and packaging in the dishwasher along with the plates. Anne-Marie says, so the answer to nearly every question I get asked is, it depends. The number one request about recycling from local councils is not to put food in the recycling bin. Making sure there is no food in the recycled items is a good idea. And if you put them through the dishwasher, it's better than washing them by hand. However, running the dishwasher just to clean the recycling is not a good idea. It's also optimum to be running the dishwasher using renewable energy either self-generated or reputably bought. Don't know if that's the case with Louis. I'm sure it is. Two, is my plastic being recycled or not? That's something I was complaining to Louis about. I just said, even with councils that do allow you to put plastic packaging in the recycling, I just wonder what's actually happening to it. And 
whether it doesn't just end up in landfill. Anne-Marie says, great question. And yes, it depends. We have a massive problem with plastic. There are seven different types of plastic. Not all of these are physically recyclable into something else, which is the first problem. Second problem is that if it's a type that can be recycled, there isn't that much it can be recycled into, and it can only be recycled a very small number of times, unlike glass or aluminium, which can be recycled many, many times. On top of that, not everyone recycles, and also some councils have been shipping their waste to other countries, which is another huge problem in itself. Finally, plastic never decomposes or goes away. It just gets smaller and smaller. The question, therefore, should be, can I reduce my plastic? This then removes all of the problems about recycling the plastic. So, I mean, well, that's down to the manufacturers then and people trying to find alternatives to plastic packaging, which people are doing gradually, but it still seems crazy that there is so much of it. Anne-Marie continues addressing another thing I mentioned in my conversation with Louis. The extent to which I am offsetting my badness by cycling. Yes, says Anne-Marie, reducing your badness, more often called a carbon footprint, by cycling is a great way to minimise your impact. However, personal transport is only around 15% of our carbon footprint, depending on how much you drive and what you drive. So we also need to consider how to reduce the rest of the badness, i.e. the other 85%. This can be most easily achieved by switching to a renewable energy source at home, reducing meat and dairy, including Rosie, swapping any gas slash oil to a heat pump, or alternative heating system, consulting a financial advisor to move to a more ethical pension provider, and also switching to a non-fossil fuel funding banking provider. Voting, whether local or national, is also important. However, the problem with relying solely on carbon footprints is that they don't provide a complete picture of our individual impact slash badness on climate change. Encouraging eco-minded individuals to use their carbon footprints as the sole guide for combating climate change can lead to a focus on easily quantifiable, low-impact individual actions like recycling or turning off lights. While these actions are essential, they might overshadow broader and more impactful efforts, such as lobbying local politicians or addressing wasteful practices at work. The concept of a climate shadow offers a more comprehensive understanding. I don't know if I like the idea of the climate shadow. I'm already freaked out about it enough. But Anne-Marie continues, A climate shadow comprises three parts. Consumption, equivalent to the carbon footprint. Choices, such as family size, pets and job. And mindset. The mindset is perhaps the most crucial aspect. It involves assessing how much attention is dedicated to climate change, how many hours are devoted to climate action compared to other activities. To truly understand your impact on the planet, it's essential to look beyond your carbon footprint and examine your climate shadow. I hope these answers have provided some clarification and will be useful. Looking forward to the George Monbiot episode. Best, Anne-Marie. Thank you very much, Anne-Marie, for getting in touch. I appreciate that. My conversation with George Monbiot will be one of the episodes that comes out sometime before Christmas, that I'm not sure exactly when. Thanks once again to Daisy May Cooper. Thanks to Seamus Murphy Mitchell for his invaluable production support and conversation editing. Thank you, Seamus. Much appreciated. Thanks to all at ACAST 
for their help with the podcast. Thank you to Helen Green. She does the artwork. There's a link to her page of beautiful illustration in the description. But thanks most of all to you. I've got no idea how many people listen to a whole episode of the podcast, but I get messages every now and again from people saying, oh, I always listen regardless of the guest and uh, I listen right the way through to the end. And obviously that's kind of my dream listener that people will engage with the podcast like that. And I appreciate that it's quite an eccentric proposition in some ways. You know, I had quite a silly conversation with Daisy Mae Cooper that did touch on a couple of serious things, I suppose. And then I'm reading out a message about human combustion and a more serious message about the climate and recycling. So, you know, I guess it's not going to be everyone's cup of tea, is it? But I appreciate you having the tea. And if it's okay with you, I'm going to give you a hug. If it's not okay, then probably now's the time to stop listening. Come here. Good to see you. I'll just high-five your climate shadow. Hey. All right, till next time. Go easy. Take care. I love you. Bye!